never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that wonders, why would Cinderella's shoe fall off if it was a perfect fit? However, the better question is, at that time of night, why would she still be wearing shoes? My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. How's it going, man? It's just one of those things, like, you you just know those personality types, like, uh, the type of girl who would leave their shoes behind just to see if you're going to try to give it to some other chick. I don't know what to think about it, but, you know, it's it's a <laughs> daily occurrence for some of us. So. <laughs> well, first off, <laughs> before we go any further, Peter, I just want to say, today marks our fifth year anniversary of doing this show so happy five year anniversary man that is crazy that is awesome did you know that was today or did you like even have an idea that that was coming up or like (laughs) i didn't realize it was today and now i'm wondering if we should have had a more epic top five list for for later in the show but you know uh, yeah that's really wild I think at the end of the day, we've been around. This is our 256th episode. We've been around for five years now. Um, We wouldn't be here if, like, okay, look. We wouldn't be here for a couple things. One, our listener group. Two, the fact that you and I were just straight committed to doing this. Because I remember when I decided to say, hey, I'm going to do a podcast. I don't think half of our friends believed me. (laughs) Yeah. Because they're like, oh, okay, Drew's going to go do a podcast. That'll last a week. You know what I mean? And here we are. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, one of those things. Um, sorry to interject, but no. it's just one of those things where I've heard people say, like, if you're going to start a podcast, the most important thing is just committing. Because most people get together and they record five or six episodes and then they feel like they're not get, getting an audience or they're not tracking and they just quit. And it's the same way with, like, I've been in a handful of uh you know, bands with friends like me and a couple friends are like, we're going to start a band together. And, you know, you have two or three practices and that fizzles out. I've also done like some comic book projects with groups of people that have kind of had the same trajectory. But the thing is, if you actually stick with the podcast, you're going to see like not only your your own uh, skills improve, but you're just going to get that down as a flow. And then before you know it, it's going to be five years later. So I think that's just a Something to keep in mind, I guess, when you get started on something, you just got to do it for the love of doing it. And after a while, you'll be able to look back and be like, wow, we did all this. You know what I mean? There's that. And then, like, just if you seriously are considering doing a podcast like Peter and I like and I don't know about Peter, like because I went in with an idea of how I wanted to do things. I kind of talked you through this is what I wanted to do. You did not argue at all. You're like, whatever, man. And we ran with it. (laughs) Like, 
You really so, did. You were just like, okay, that's if that's how you want to do it, that's fine. Like you didn't argue too much. But there were goals in mind, like we have to get to episode seven. You know, I want to have this many episodes ready to drop on day one when the website releases. We got to have the website done. We have to do the social media part. We got like, and I was like kind of checking boxes, like we need this, we need this, we need this. And that's where you didn't really stop me. You're just like, whatever, however you want to do it, <laughs> you know. Um, no, I, I thought the plan sounded good. And uh, I love the art form of podcasts in general. Um, and so, like, I was kind of like, I wasn't going to argue with a lot of those specifics because I thought most of your ideas were pretty well thought out. And I did have, like, certain <laughs> suggestions for the show. Like, I did really want to do, like, a watching and reading section because, I knew there was going to be some nerdy stuff I was going to be watching that I was going to want to talk about. But when I brought that up to you, you're like, oh, yeah, that's what uh, we're definitely going to do that as well. So it kind of uh, I think it kind of worked out <laughs> in a lot of those ways. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for our cousin, Brian, who handled our website. Um, he basically cut me a huge deal because he does web design for a living. And he helped me big, helped us big time setting it, helping us get the website and all the tech part figured out. Um, our friend Ryan, who has been kind of dormant since his kid was a born kid was born, but he is instrumental for not only helping us with a lot of the edits for the very beginning of the podcast when we first started, but he also did all of our music for us uh, and the sound effect stuff. Uh, so that top five bumper right before our list, that's because of him, uh, Ryan and Brian. If you're listening. Um, and I'm pretty sure you are. Thank you so much, because we wouldn't be here uh, without you guys. And uh, Peter, I don't think I could have asked for a better co-host, man. Like you oh, and I, <laughs> you and I disagree on some. We we disagree just enough to have those good conversations, but we also like the same stuff. So we enjoy talking about the things that we want to talk about, you know, and I think that's a huge dynam dynamic that uh, you need in a co-host. So. Um, no, absolutely. I've I've been enjoying this journey with you, Drew. I think uh, we've made a good team, and uh, I enjoy your contri contributions as uh, you know the host of the show. And uh, I also, of course, like you said, thanks so much, Brian, for providing the uh, resources and infrastructure we've needed to get this out of, off of the ground. And uh, thanks to uh, uh, Ryan. <laughs> Yep, I know. Ryan and Brian, it's like... <laughs> yeah, I was like, that doesn't sound right, but it's also just been a while since I've seen Ryan, so the name doesn't roll off the tongue as well as it should, but no, Ryan's awesome, and like, uh, thanks so much for doing so much editing and get, giving us so much sound advice when we started the show, and also just like, that theme song, I still love. Like, every time I listen back to an episode, it's always one of the highlights. It's so cool, it's so unique. It just takes you to some esoteric place that's between, like, a futuristic, awesome sci-fi journey and, like, an 80s, like, you know, corner store arcade somewhere. And yeah. uh, I just love the vibe of it, you know, so. Yeah, I know. And, um, yeah, I, I agree. And that's it was funny because when I told – I gave Ryan some sample song ideas, and I said, this is kind of what I'm thinking in my mind, but I want you to, like – maybe darken it up a little bit, make it a little more techno-y and let's see what you come out with. And that was, he gave me like, I think there was maybe three different variants before we, before him and I settled on the one that um, we ended up with. And then I, you know, so it was awesome. Like, it's just been a really fun ride. We've gotten to do press at Comic-Cons a handful of times. I hope to do more of that. Um, yeah, we're not going anywhere. 
So there's too much to talk about. So how about that? Right um, on. <laughs> but yeah, so happy five-year anniversary. Oh, and thank you to our countless guests that we've had on the show. Um, all of you, if you're listening, you all have an open seat if you ever want to come back on the table, back to the table. So, Audrey, I know you've been texting me several times to come back. Peter and I would love to have you on the show. So come up with a list idea or say, I like the list you guys got next week and join us. That's all. I'm, how about I, how about I leave it at that? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love how you say countless because I part of me feels like we haven't had enough guests. But no, I absolutely I agree. agree with the but I there. can't. But I don't know. Like if I tried counting, I don't know. Like I'm like I feel like I'd forget someone and be like, yeah, it's countless. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Perfect. Wow. But uh, yeah, our guests are always the best part of the show when they come on and uh, have far more interesting um, perspectives than I probably have. So yeah, thanks so much for anybody who's contributed this, to the show thus far. So yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Enough of that nonsense. Let's get to the stuff people really want to talk about. Um, what are you watching, man? <laughs> yeah. So I have a couple things I wanted to talk about this week and I know sure. Drew, you haven't even said it, but I know this is a news heavy week. So I'm probably, I'm going to try to go through you my stuff. Weird. You know, it's weird. It looks like a news heavy week, but it's all like one giant story. Fair enough. I literally kept like taking notes and I'm like, well, I already have that note. Wait, I already have that note. I already have that. <laughs> like, um, it was weird. I was like, this is going to be a light news week. And then I looked at it. I was like, no, this is a massive news week. And then I was like, no, this is kind of a light news week. Um, but yeah, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was going to say, speaking of podcasts, um, I started watching uh, the show based on a true story. Um, are you familiar with this one, oh, Drew? Or have you watched this I watched, yet? I watched the first three episodes and then life happened and I need to sit down and continue. Oh, nice. So we're probably pretty close because I think I've okay. watched four or five episodes so far. OK, but um, this is a pretty fun. Did you talk about this on our show, by the way? I think I did when I watched the first couple, but that was right. So like I said, I life happened and I have not had a chance to sit back down. Yeah. Yeah. I vaguely remember you bringing it up, but this is the the new show with Kaylee Cuoco. That's yeah. basically about her character and her husband finding out that uh, this plumber who works at their house is actually a serial killer. And instead of reporting him to the police, they kind of blackmail him into doing a podcast with them. And uh, this show is so much fun. It has like this really cool, like true crime podcasts is one of the biggest corners of the entertainment world right now. Like, Maybe it doesn't always seem like that when you go to the movie theaters or watch TV or whatever, but true crime is so popular that it was only a matter of time that we were going to start getting shows, um, shows like this. And Drew, I know you mentioned there's the other one with like Selena Gomez and um, Steve Martin, I want to say, or something like that. Yeah, um, only murders in the building. Yeah, but that that's another one where true crime podcasts have become the subject of TV series, which is really interesting. But what I love about the series is you have uh, this main couple. You have Kaylee Cuoco and her husband who come up with this crazy idea for something to do for a podcast, and they just end up going with it. And I love this show because it does similar things that like a show like Dexter or uh, you on Netflix and shows like that do where you have like 
an interesting premise that seems edgy and dangerous, and then they just roll with it, and the show is going to take you really weird places. And uh, Drew, like I said, I'm a little bit ahead of you, but this show does go some really, really weird places. And uh, the other... What's that? I just said, all right. Yeah, and then the other thing that I'm loving is how the serial killer character in this show is somebody who was kind of reluctant to do to do the podcast thing initial initially and i love how the show shows how he goes from being reluctant to doing this to taking over to the point of where he is the creative force on this podcast like i think it's really fun and uh, after watching a handful of episodes you start to see the dry and very subtle humor in that and uh I don't know. I've just been really enjoying the show. And it is one of those things where it has that like you finish watching an episode and they give you just good enough of a cliffhanger that you have to keep watching. So it's kind of hooked me on this point. Um, I don't know if you have any further comments on this one uh, that you couldn't mention before at all. Um, I don't have comments only because you're a little heady, a little farther than I am. So until I watch more, I really don't have much to say other than that. I really enjoyed what I watched. I thought it was really funny. Um, uh, Kaylee Cuoco (laughs) was obviously always great. Um, Her co-host, her co-star, Christopher Messina, is that right? Um, I'm drawing a blank on his name for some reason right now. But he, um, he, the first time I saw him was on the show Newsroom. And I loved him (laughs) at that. So this has just been a lot of fun to see him again. Um, and then, yeah, I, I just look forward to finishing it. And I think it's, you know, you brought up only murders in the building and that season's about to drop, um, if it hasn't already. And then, um, yeah. Yeah. Really fun stuff. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll have more to say on this one. And, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, us both being on the same, uh, being us both being caught up on On the same page. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's two other things I want I watched. Uh, the one that I kind of wanted to mention, and I could probably keep it pretty quick unless you watch this as well, Drew, but I watched the movie Renfield. I have not watched that yet, but all right, go ahead. Okay, so yes, this is the movie that came out that has uh, Nicolas Cage playing Dracula. Uh, and I, focused... I, really, I really want to see this, but go ahead. Yeah, it focuses on, I think the actor's name is Nick Holt, I want to say. I might have that wrong, but he plays uh, Renfield, who's Dracula's basically right-hand man or, like, right-hand minion, if you will. And uh, this movie is a lot of fun. First of all, you have Nicolas Cage playing Dracula. Sign me up, right? Um, You have a cool, funny, Universal Monsters-based story with modern day special effects so the action scenes have some really cool stuff there's certain parts of the movie where like somebody will shoot a gun at dracula for example and he will turn into a pack of bats and he'll like it'll form like almost like a circle of bats that the bullet goes through between with where the bats are and then they come back in and form back into dracula if that makes sense there's mm-hmm. a lot of really creative stuff that they do with the vampire mythos in that way. Um, But this movie is just really 
it's really a blast. Like it's kind of one of those just good summer, like a little bit comic booky sort of romps. And I say comic booky because I remember watching the movie and I was watching it with my wife and we kind of looked at each other at one point and she was like, I kind of feel like this is like Dracula meets Deadpool. And I was like, you know, it kind of is because the way that the fight scenes play out and the way the humor is and some of the gore, it actually does have a pretty similar vibe to Deadpool. That being said, I think Deadpool's both Deadpool movies are probably a little bit better than this one, but this is kind of, if you want a similar vibe, I feel like this is a really, this would be a really fun place to go. Um, The movie is overall pretty deconstructivist when it comes to like the classic universal monsters tropes. And I don't know if they want to use this movie as to be like part of a bigger shared universe with the universal monster characters. I have a little bit of um, I doubt that that would work super smoothly just because of how deconstructivist this movie is, if that makes sense. Like they really point out some of the Dracula um, tropes and kind of turn some of those on their head. And uh, maybe I think it doesn't take the Dracula mythos seriously enough to be like a multiverse launching movie if that makes sense but it's yeah. still like a blast to watch so i definitely recommend this one so uh, i don't know if you have any questions or comments on that drew or if i should go into my last last bit that i watched this week no the movie just looks really good seeing nicholas cage's uh dracula i'm just like yeah why hasn't this been done already um idea of focusing on renfield but it also like now catch me if i'm wrong but the, tra- the trailer makes it look like it's Renfield, it's like Interview with the Vampire, but with Renfield telling his story. Um, and that's, and, and I was, I, I that's could like, see that, but more of a, like, more of a horror comedy than, like, a drama, if that makes okay. sense. Like, okay. well, yeah, less I dramatic totally, than that. I totally got the comedy angle to it from the trailer. I just, that's kind of how I was like, oh, it's Interview with the Vampire, but with Renfield. That just seems. Yeah. So I could see that there's a little bit they do really play on that sort of um, Renfield is this sort of uh, he's like stuck in this tragic situation where he's like Dracula's minion, but he doesn't want to be Dracula's minion. And Dracula is almost like the pain in the ass boss that he has that he can't get rid of. And that's it's kind of played up for laughs. But they do have that sort of like tragic, surprisingly relatable aspect to it because on paper like when i know there's going to be a renfield movie i'm a little bit like well that's cool but i'd rather the movie be solely on dracula but dracula was actually like a perfect villain to focus on for this movie and they actually turn some of the ideas about renfield like the fact that he's always eating bugs for example they Mm. have some cool tie-ins with stuff like that to make you actually think no, Renfield's actually a really cool character. He's not just necessarily a side character. Like, he actually has some really cool stuff going on. And that's where some sure. of the sort of, like, comic booky superpower aspects come into the to the whole situation. So, All right. Uh, well, what else did you watch? So my last thing, and this is something that, and I don't know if it's just because of who I follow online, but I, I feel like this thing has broken the internet to an extent and to a surprising level, but to a level that I'm very happy about. 
And that is, uh, I watched the first two episodes of My Adventures with Superman on oh, uh, Max. It kind of has broken the internet a little bit. Like, I've seen a ton of it. Um, yes. Talking about it and people praising it and all that stuff. So what do you think, man? Because I haven't watched I've, it yet. Oh, you haven't watched it? Oh, yeah. Okay. I have seen online a lot. So there are a lot of people who are who are liking this show. A lot of people who are stoked for it. I've seen a lot of hate towards this show. I've oh, seen people okay. taking screenshots of the show, nitpicking every little thing. And I will say, as a Superman fan, I love this show so far. I was just going to say, it, you're, this is where you're going to say, I don't get what they're complaining about. <laughs> a little bit, because so there's there's certain aspects of the show. Like the show, if you've seen the tra- trailer, you can see that the show has a very strong um, anime influence to the art style. Um, yep. It's actually done, from what I know, it's like done by the same studio that did the netflix uh shira cartoon so it kind of has a little bit of that style if that makes sense but um there's certain aspects of the show uh excuse me where uh superman has like a like he'll be about to do something like he'll be about to save a character and you go into like a quick slow motion sequence and it almost has a uh it almost has like an anime power up feel to it. Like there's one part of the show where he uses his super speed and it slows down and you almost see like lightning effects, like almost like he's the flash. And there's a lot of people pointing out like kind of those more like shonen anime super power up segments of the show. And a lot of people are criticizing those, which I get the criticism, but at the same time, everything else about the show is so solid. Like I, there's so many nitpicks you could focus on, but I feel like the show is really well done. Like it has this really lighthearted, but it's very lighthearted, but it's also something you can take seriously. Um, it has this aspect where the origin of Superman is handled very quick and concisely at the very beginning of the show. And then the show flash for, flashes forward to Clark's first day at working at the Daily Planet, basically. And the way the first, like, ten minutes of the series are handled, I feel like they could translate that into a live-action movie, and it would work so well. Because it is lighthearted. It is funny. It does feel like... It does have that classic Superman vibe to it, but you also can take everything completely seriously. And I think the show does a lot of clever things like for example Clark Kent is typically very dorky he's a little clumsy he has all these things that he does and it's almost in a way so that people don't realize that he's Superman the whole time so what the show does is all those clumsy attributes that Clark has it's actually because his strength that makes him clumsy so for example there's a moment where he is about to go into a convenience store and I think he grabs the wrong side of the door. Like he grabs, he tries to open the locked door instead of the side that's open. And he just rips the handle off. <laughs> and it's like this really funny visual gag. And it's like, yeah, that's t- your typical clumsy Clark Kent stuff. But it's because he's so super powered that uh, lends to those like clumsy elements, if that makes sense. Yeah. And uh I feel like I could go on and on, but overall, I just feel like there's some smart things that the show does. I think it, 
I think it handles like everything really well. And it's pretty true to the spirit of the source material, even though you are going to get certain characters with new designs, you're going to get certain things are changed, but I do feel like spiritually, I do feel like it is true to Superman. And that's what I love about it the most. And it, it goes back to one of those things we've talked on the podcast about the rule of cool and everything I've seen from the series so far is so cool and it's good enough that I'm not going to nitpick every little thing. Like I'm not going to nitpick Livewire's haircut in the show because I think everything was represented so well that I don't, ne- I don't necessarily care that the character Livewire has a different haircut than she normally does in the comics, if that makes sense. So well, I'm loving it so far, you know? <laughs> as, you're, as you're saying that, it makes me wonder if people actually read comics. And I know, look, I feel like the vast number of people out there who want to whine and moan about this don't read comic books. I really don't think they do. Um, and that's just from general conversation. I feel like I feel like I'm in a minority when I say I read comic books. I really do. Um, well, that, that's, that, that's a good wrong. point. I just feel like I'm in a minority there. No, I, I do I do agree with that, and I also feel like people don't necessarily have the ability to read between the lines on certain things. Um, I don't know if you've seen this yet, Drew, but uh, Deathstroke actually does make an appearance um, in this series. Um, I don't know if he goes by Deathstroke yet. He might just be going by Slade at this point, but his design everybody's complaining about because he looks younger than Deathstroke typically does. He's clean shaven. But then I'm sitting there, I'm like, but every single character in the show is a younger version than their current iteration in the comics. So wouldn't you think like Deathstroke might look a little bit different, if that makes sense? So I think people are just being way too nitpicky. But what I love or is that they nitpicky because it's DC and don't get me started on that train. Um, right. But, but, but the thing is, this show is so in the collective subconscious right now. As much as people complain about it, it shows that people really care about this show and people really care about Superman and DC superheroes. And I think that's awesome. You know, this right, could be something right. that just went by the wayside and nobody paid attention to. But it kind of has that you know, Snyder versus Man of Steel effect where like we're still talking about Man of Steel, even though so many people supposedly hated about it or hated it, but it's still part of the daily superhero movie conversation. And uh, I, that's what I think is awesome about it, you know? Yeah. Um, is it adult like Har- the Harley Quinn show is or is it like an everybody show? It's definitely family-friendly, but I think it's family-friendly in the way that you could compare it to the old, like, Bruce Timm animation stuff, or you could compare it to, um, you know, Young Justice. It's, it's, or, like, the DC movies. Like, it's, there's no real, like, gore or bad language or anything, but the storytelling's mature enough that you're not going to get bored as an adult watching it. So, yeah. Sure. Okay. Cool. Um... I did see a thing on Instagram the other day and this guy was like, look, you want to make a billion dollars right now? Just take the Batman animated series, fully remake the show live action. Just do that. We all want to do that. Just retell the whole show. Just do every episode (laughs) as is. No one's going to stop you. Do it. (laughs) And then they're like, as soon as you're done with that, take the Superman animated show and do that live action. (laughs) 
That's yeah. kind of what I wish they would just do with the live action DC movies. But yeah, yeah. that guy's right on. <laughs> I gotta be the guy going. I, I hate to say it, but how many times when we're watching like the show Gotham or knowing that we have a Penguin live action show coming or like all this other stuff, it's like, give me the Batman show. I don't understand why that's not a thing yet. I really don't. Well, well, but. look at what what Lucasfilm is doing. You, you have Dave Filoni, who did such a good job on the Clone Wars and Rebels and stuff like that. And now they're letting him handle live action stuff. Um, why hasn't Warner Brothers done that? You know, why didn't like Paul Dini and Bruce Tim head up the DC movies like that could have been awesome? You know what I mean? So, yeah, well, we got to see what James Gunn's going to pump out first. But I hear you. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm with you. all right um i have one thing that i watched this week because i um well i finished the show after party i finished the season it was great can't wait for the oh, next. nice i can't wait for the next season it was great you you said you have access to apple tv dude you gotta get caught up over there dude you gotta <laughs> i'll do my best <laughs> the um and then i sat down at the D table and uh started up the new uh the new campaign what i'm I guess you could call it campaign two, but I'm kind of referring to it as a season two um, because what I'm trying to ultimately do with these ongoing stories. Um, but uh, that's been fun. The one thing I did watch, which is a big one, um, is Indiana Jones five dial of destiny. All right. How was that? So. All right. I went into Indiana Jones dial of destiny with, the expectation that I'm going to see an Indiana Jones film. I walked out after watching an Indiana Jones film. It is exactly what I was expecting it to be. It was exactly what I was hoping it would be. Um, and therefore I had a ton of fun and it was a blast and it put a nice closure to the Indiana Jones story. I thought it was great. I had a lot of fun watching this movie um, again, I went in with Indiana Jones expectations. It's kind of like this. I go into an Avengers film with Avengers expectations. I go into a Batman movie with Batman expectations. I didn't go into Indiana. I do not go into Indiana Jones movies without Indiana Jones expectations because I feel like everyone walked into Crystal Skull with some other expectation and hated it. Um, right. Dial of Destiny. Um, first off, the first 15 minutes of the movie are all set in uh, during World War II with the Nazis, Indiana Jones, like Last Crusade era Indiana Jones. Um, so they have to do some de-aging uh, um, CG on him. Um, it looked really good. The only time that I felt I could see through the red tape a little bit was when, like, it, like weird angles on the face, if they had to do some weird wide shots or weird angles and stuff. But I was, but I was kind of looking for it to see that to see it. Um, if you're just enjoying the screen, what's going on, you might not even notice. Um, the, but the cool thing about how he looked was he looked great, and he, um, he's played the role. And I say that like Harrison Ford played Indiana Jones back then, so we know what he looks like back then. Where like when you compare it to. Uh, Michael Douglas, who was Hank Pym in Ant-Man, we didn't see him in that original role, but they de-aged him because they needed him to look younger for the other time period. And then you saw him as old Hank Pym later, you know, so it, I feel like that was a little bit more of a jarring change, but that's because we never saw him in that role before. Uh, that makes sense. 
and that's just it's just a thought and i was having a conversation with a friend about that um but no i just i thought the the cg on the face was totally fine uh, there's two moments like that. There's that, and then there's another flashback. It's like those are flashback sequences, basically. Like the movie opens uh, in that time, and then it jumps ahead to present day or like 1969 or whenever the movie takes place. And then they do another flashback a little bit later, so kind of in between those time periods to show you something. Um, the adventure was really great. This one, it's almost like a reluctant Indiana Jones gets thrown into the mix. Like, we're not doing this. We're not going. We're not going to go searching this thing out. You're crazy for doing so. And then he gets <laughs> stuck going after the thing because it's like, well, now he's in the mix and he kind of took off from there. Um, the car chases were great. Um, Indiana Jones always has good creature stuff like bugs or snakes or rats and stuff. That stuff was great. Um, the stunts were really cool. Um, the action was really cool. Uh, the story itself was pretty solid. Like the, the MacGuffin they went after was awesome. There, um, there were definitely some more religious artifacts that you're just like, Oh dude, a whole movie on that would have been cool. Or a whole movie on that would have been cool. You know? Um, nice. <laughs> seeing Harrison Ford playing that age of an Indiana Jones, it made sense as the movie went on. You're just like, yeah, okay, this I'm with you. Um, they cover, the reason Shia LaBeouf is not in the movie is handled in dialogue, and when you get to that sequence, you'll understand why. Um, and then, uh, yeah, there's some cool cameos. You get to see Sala again, obviously. Um, you know, it's, I'm not going to spoil it, because if you saw Crystal Skull, him and Marion get married at the end of the movie, so Marion should probably appear at some point in the film, you know? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to spoil the movie too much, but, you know. Um, there's rumors online that this movie deals with some time travel aspects. Um, and yes, that is true. Um, it is called the dial of destiny for a reason. Um, I don't want to spoil how or why or what it is, but, um, there was a little bit of moment in my mind going, be careful. Like when you realize what it is, my mind was like, be careful what you guys do here. And they were really smart with it. And um, I was happy with how that played out. And it's that thing where, like, Indiana Jones, you know, when you see there's this line in the movie where he's like, in my time, I've seen a lot of strange stuff. Some of it I can't explain. Right. Well, this is another moment where Indiana Jones gets to see something that he might not necessarily be able to explain, you know, um, and it's cool. So. Yeah, nice. I don't know. I had I had a lot of fun watching the movie. I highly recommend seeing it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of a fluke, like, oh, hey, I can squeeze this in. Let's go get this done. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, don't know if I ever thought, uh, Indiana Jones was a series that they couldn't touch, uh, the concept of time travel in. Like, um, I know I've talked to people about, um, like whether time travel would fit within the Star Wars universe. And I've always felt like, Star Wars would just get way too con convoluted and almost annoying if they ever introduced time travel. But Indiana Jones, I think when you think of the original trilogy, you have it like bookended by the Ark of the Covenant and uh, the Holy Grail. And then going from there, you have um, you have them have a movie that focus focuses on like extraterrestrial life and then moving on to a time travel based thing it kind of seems like the series just slowly ramps up as far as esoteric you know 
cryptic concepts go. And uh, I don't know that I mind that this one would have time travel in it. Um, and it's kind of cool that you said that uh, they handle it well and stuff like that. So just, I'm definitely looking forward to this one when I get the chance really, to see it. They're really, really smart with it. And that's the important piece. Nice. So, yeah, that's the that's the important piece. Is they're really smart with it. So, yeah. Um, nice. So, yeah, that's all I watched. So let's segue into news, man, because we've been talking forever. Um, uh, <laughs> right on. <laughs> um, I'd love to spoil the absolute crap out of Indiana Jones 5, but I'd rather you guys just watch it and enjoy it. Um, there is one quibble I have with Indiana Jones 5, and it's a stupid quibble, and it's really me noticing it right away. And I was like, um, okay. You know how in all the Indiana Jones movies they show you the Paramount logo with the mountain and yeah. then the mountain turns into something on screen, whether it be another mountain or that weird gong thing from Temple of Doom or uh, the gopher hole from Crystal Skull. You know what I'm talking about? It always turns into something. They yeah. don't do that with this one. Yeah. At, I mean, at, you... at the, at literally at the top of the movie, I was like, oh. Like, like, shake it off, enjoy the film. <laughs> but I was like, oh, okay, you know. <laughs> yeah, that is a bummer. And because of that, uh, that Paramount logo thing they did at the beginning of the other movies, like, it's kind of hard to get away from that. Like, I know um, going to movie theaters and seeing Star Wars movies through the years, like, I remember noticing the difference, you, the differences you see, like the first time you see the Lucasfilm logo come up before a Star Wars movie, as opposed to when you're watching the original trilogy at home as a kid. And that was a little bit jarring. But uh, yeah, that Paramount logo thing, I never would have thought about that. But yeah, that is a uh, that would be something that like it, it wouldn't sit right with me. But also, what are you going to do about it? You know? <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, roll into news, shall we? Like I yeah, said, this is an interestingly busy week, yet slow at the same time. So we're going to talk about some Marvel news real quick. Uh, first off, remember how I said we got a lot of people coming to Deadpool 3? Um, well, for a, it's a fact. Jennifer Gardner will return as Elektra for Deadpool. Yeah. Which... There's a couple things that say there's a possibility, but it looks like because of that, we might get Ben Affleck returning as Daredevil for <laughs> for uh, Deadpool 3, which could be really interesting. Um, but in terms of Deadpool 3, the big story of Deadpool 3 is Wolverine's comic accurate yellow and blue costume. Have you seen the screenshots for this? Oh, how how could I not have seen? This? Oh, my God. They're all over the Internet, like all over the place and it looks fantastic and it makes me look back at that original x-men movie going see it does work <laughs> right um but yeah dude what do you think it looks great it looks correct they <laughs> don't have any pictures of him wearing the headpiece though which yep. i do hope is a thing but we gotta wait to see so what do you that's think? where that's where i'm at it's taken them this long to put uh, Wolverine in that like blue and yellow suit and it looks awesome I love that screenshot of him and Deadpool walking next to each other and you get to see both of the new suits and they look great 
Um, it is one of those things where it's like, if you're going to go that far and not put him in the mask, I'm going to be kind of annoyed about that. You guys have to put him in the mask. Like, don't go, like, almost all the way and then quit on us. Like, let's go all the way, put him in the mask. I already have mixed feelings on the fact that the Wolverine suit has sleeves, because I think it would be cool if you got that classic sleeveless yellow suit Wolverine look. But I'm not going to I'm not going to nitpick too much because it does look really badass. But seriously, put him in the mask. This is something that's get rid of the sleeves. (laughs) Well, this was a I think it was a post credit scene in. I want to say The Wolverine when that movie came out. Wasn't that when they showed they had a teaser where Wolverine had a suitcase that had like his classic. I want to say it was his like yellow and brown suit. And they actually did show a headpiece in there and we never got to see him wear it in the movies. Uh, Now I want to go back and look that up. It's it's either The Wolverine or it's one of the... uh, it might be one of the X-Men movie prequels, like um, First Class, or um, I don't think it's Days of Future Past. I'm going to have to go look that up, but I hear you. Yeah, but they've yeah. been teasing us, and it's 90, listen, 90s X-Men, like that animated series was so pop- popular. In my opinion, it made a lot of these characters a household name, and you have a whole generation of people who are, or maybe multiple, maybe it's all millennials and all of Gen X are just waiting to see Hugh Jackman don that Wolverine mask. So do it, you know, don't hold out on us. And uh, I'll even go as far to say, don't give us like the little wings off the side. I want that mask to have big, ridiculous wings off the side of it uh, coming off of his face. But we'll see how they actually handle it in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. And then my other thinking is, is that with the fact that we have as many cameos and like secret like appearances, like, you know, Jennifer Garner coming back as Electra, I really do think. And with them saying that they're going to have multiple variants of Wolverine and Deadpool, and they're probably going to play off the multiverse joke heavily in this. Yeah. I think we might actually be, Deadpool 3 might be Deadpool Kills the MCU. Dude, you're right. Really do. Just saying. It's a thought. I could be wrong. (laughs) But I also think that you could tweak that storyline to bring a Deadpool in to the MCU. Like there's probably a clever way to do it, but I think you're right. That's a really good idea. And I think that's a really good call. Um, The one thing I was going to say too, is because you are mentioning like Jennifer Garner, like, are we going to get a Ben Affleck daredevil? They're bringing in a lot of characters from old Marvel movies And I'm really starting to feel like Deadpool 3 is going to be the Flash of the Marvel Universe. And the reason I say that is because... Spider-Man No Way Home. But I think this one's going to go further, because Spider-Man No Way Home focused on the Spider-Man of movies past, or the Spider-Man of movies past, I should say, but... Deadpool 3, I think they're going to focus on everything. And one of the things I said about The Flash is this is a movie that honored DC movie history. And I had no no idea that Deadpool 3 was going to be the movie that comes in and honors Marvel movie history. 
Right. And that's just going to be awesome. So I can't wait for this one. <laughs> yeah, me too. And it's hopefully everything works out because of the, the, the script thing that we talked about a while back. You know, we'll see. Um, all right. Before we move on to DC news, Emmy, the Emmy Awards are coming soon. Um, and then it's just good to see this. The Last of Us has been nominated for 24 Emmys total. <laughs> um, including best, uh, best Drama, Lead Actor, and Lead Actress. Um, I really hope it just wins everything. It probably was the best show of the past year. Um, yeah, I'd have to just to compare it to things. I think the only thing I can mentally compare it to in terms of best show would probably be House of the Dragon. But, um, yeah, I'd have to go back and look at what shows we got this past year. But those are the two off the top of my head that I'm like, of course, those have to be, you know. But, um, but yeah, no, yeah. good for them. It's hard to it's hard to keep um, all the shows straight and when exactly uh, they came out and stuff like that. But I think Last of Us is I think of over the past year, it is one of the truly greatest shows because it is one of those not to use this phrase again, but Last of Us was a household name. It was a show that no matter what gathering you were at, no matter who you were talking about, talking to at work, Everybody was watching this show and the show delivered in so many ways. And uh, I won't even say it's a perfect show. Like some of the episodes I felt like maybe dragged a little bit. But overall, like this show delivered in a way that I feel like a lot of shows didn't this past year. And uh, so definitely well deserved. And uh, it'll be cool to see which awards they actually walk home with. Yeah, um, I'm yes, exactly. And I. I'm looking forward to it. I really hope they just win everything. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. DC has dropped a bunch of news, um, casting news um, coming directly. Like it dropped before Nate, uh, James Gunn said anything. And then James Gunn goes confirmed, 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 confirmed. confirmed. <laughs> um, so I'm going to. So our casting news we got this uh today well this week today um so james gunn was like true welcome to the cast of superman the following i'm just making sure because they're all basically the same story that's where i said like oh look they're all the same story um right so we have joining the cast <laughs> is eddie gathigi i think i want to say that name right he's going to be playing mr terrific um now in terms of casting Mr. Terrific, fine. I have no real preference on this. He looks fine, like just appearance. I looked him up on IMDb. I have not seen anything in he's been in. He's done a lot of um, indie stuff um, and a lot of television stuff that I have not watched. So I have no uh, recollection on him. Um, then we have Isabel Merced. Isabella Merced. Uh, Merced, or however you say her last name. She's going to be playing Hawkgirl, uh, Kendra Saunders. Here's the thing. I've always enjoyed uh, Hawkgirl. Um, going, like, especially from, like, Justice League Unlimited. I thought Hawkgirl yeah. was fantastic. Um, Mr. Terrific, just a quick sidebar. I have never been a fan of Mr. Terrific. I, I don't know why. He just, I've never liked the character. But it's fine if they're going to put him in. That's cool. But Hawkgirl they're putting in, <laughs> it's great. I'm looking forward to seeing Kendra Saunders. Um Isabella Merced, um, I, she was in Transformers 5 or Transformers The Last Night, and she was in Dora the Explorer. Um, she was Dora and Dora the Explorer. Um, I 
would have to go back and probably watch a section of Transformers 5 to remember her in the movie, unfortunately. But in terms of, like, comic book, like what Kendra looks like in the comic book, to the pictures they've been releasing of her, she looks like her. Awesome. I'm down. Looks great. Um, yeah, I... I... I would agree with that. Both movies I actually haven't gotten around to see. <laughs> the Last Night is one of the few tra- Transformers movies I actually never watched. But I do agree with you. Like, she looks the part. Uh, let's what she, let's see what she gets, you know? Yeah, and I don't know her acting ability that well, but, like, she looks the part. And um, But she landed the role, and awesome. Let's do it. Um, and the big one, in my opinion, is Nathan Fillion playing Guy Gardner, uh, Green Lantern. Now, this one's interesting to me because Nathan Fillion is known for voicing Hal Jordan Green Lantern in several of the DC animated stuff. You're um, right. Nathan Fillion is awesome. Um, I love him as an actor. He's friends with James Gunn, so of course James Gunn's going to put him in somewhere. Um, but he's playing a Green Lantern again, and he's playing Guy Gardner. Guy Gardner is not the most popular of the Green Lanterns, so this could be a one-and-done thing for Nathan Fillion, which is fine. Um, It could be a reoccurring role for him. Um, I just was not expecting Guy Gardner, to be completely honest. Um, But that's awesome. I'm looking forward to this. I think Nathan Fillion's great. But these are all for Superman Legacy. So Superman Legacy is not just going to be a Superman movie. There's going to be a lot of other moving parts in here, and that's awesome. Um, that has me really excited as a DC fan for the amount of stuff James Gunn might be trying to like get in there. So thoughts? I on like this? The, <laughs> there's so many comments you could make right now. I like that you, the phrase you used is as a DC fan because I remember when Batman v Superman was coming out and everybody was being such a naysayer and saying. Uh, there's too many moving parts, there's too many characters, blah, blah, blah. And I was kind of like somebody like, well, I read DC Comics, I know about all these characters, I'm kind of excited to see how they weave all these characters into the storyline they're putting together. So I was personally stoked, and uh, as somebody who enjoys DC Comics, I was actually pleasantly happy walking out of that movie. And uh, I feel like this James Gunn Superman movie is kind of in the same situation where I am excited. I do think it's fun to launch a a universe where a lot of other superheroes already exist. Who wants to sit through 10 more origin films before you get to that Avengers level crossover? Let's just jump in and enjoy it. And that's the thing. It's like, as a DC fan, I'm looking forward to it. My thing is, all the people who said that Batman v Superman tried to do too much better not be praising James Gunn, James Gunn's movie for doing the same thing. And I, I kind of, I kind of, what's that? They will. You just watch. Yeah. And we'll keep going. (laughs) No, that was it. That was it. Well, I I think I phrased that wrong because I don't want to be too negative. Like praise James Gunn where he's due respect. Like, by all means, praise him. But it's just one of those things where I don't want to see a double standard where, like, James Gunn can do it and get off scot-free, but then everybody gave 
Zack Snyder such a hard time for essentially doing the same thing. That's yeah. my perspective on it. But I don't want to, I did phrase that kind of negatively. I don't want to discourage anybody from praising this new DC universe, but that is my thoughts. And like, I, I have seen this, uh, reiterated by a lot of people online like don't complain about batman v superman and the snyderverse doing similar things that this new james gunn universe is doing um but overall i mean nathan fillion awesome like he's awesome every role i've seen him in i totally forgot that he did a lot of the animated green lantern uh voices like he was in emerald knights and a lot of the other animated green green lantern movies and that's a really cool connection that i kind of forgot about but he looks awesome i'm excited for hawk girl i never was like a huge mr terrific fan either drew but i i feel like i'm more a little bit more indifferent towards him like if you want to throw mr terrific in that's fine like yeah, i'm not gonna complain to... about but exactly. <laughs> but he, he was never my mr. favorite terrific? you know yeah if you want to put in mr terrific great bring it but at the same time yeah. i was like eh, i don't really care for the like i don't really have that big of a emotional connection to that character <laughs> so he's if he's there great if not i'm not gonna be upset um nice. the one that i'm real surprised about was because all right look at this point we should no longer be surprised when we hear about a casting announcement or the fact that we're gonna see a character in the movie because of the things they've been doing on screen what i'm surprised about is the fact that i never thought i would see this character live action and that's also for superman Le legacy actor anthony kerrigan who played, um, he was, he played Mr. Zaz in, uh, the TV show Gotham. And then he's also in the show Barry. Um, he's been cast as Metamorpho in Superman. Right. And I'm like, we're going to see a live action version of Metamorpho. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, Metamorpho is like, he, he can shape change. Um, yeah. but it's not like, but it's kind of a monstrous monster looking character that he doesn't it's not like he shape changes and looks like a normal person the way mystique shape changes this is more like a clay face kind of a thing um but the fact i'm like this guy's gonna be on live action what you know like yeah it, this has me really excited man uh, uh, the, the, besides he's, he's um, a fantastic actor he's really good he's funny he does drama really well um he's he'll be great so yeah, uh, I think he's, I don't know if I've seen this actor in any, anything, but he's just one of those people where you can look at him and initially you just get the impression of like certain vibes that he gives off. And I mean that in the best way possible. Like, I feel like he could probably play really sinister characters. He could probably deliver lines in really engrossing and esoteric ways. And I'm really excited for that. Uh, the one thing I was going to say, because you mentioned the way he shape changes is kind of in a clay face sort of way. I also like my mind goes to a little bit the like uh, super scroll that will have like each limb will be a different uh, Fantastic yeah. Four characters power. So you'll have like the thing arm and then the Mr. Fantastic arm and then the um, the human torch leg and then the other invisible leg like I feel like uh, his character has a lot of those cool sort of attributes, so that'll sure. be cool to see. But it all goes into, this is what James Gunn does. He plucks out obscure characters and then just does justice to them on screen because James Gunn is a weird guy who likes bringing 
weird characters and concepts to life. And that's what's cool about him be heading up the uh, DC universe at this point, you yeah. know? Yeah. I, I'm just real. It's going to be cool, dude. And Deadpool, it's, I'm so excited for it at this point. That's that Deadpool. I'm sorry, Superman Legacy. <laughs> yeah. I looked down. I said Deadpool because I looked down. And okay, so we've never shown pictures of this, but the table, like the round table. So Peter and I, when we started the show five years ago, the table um, in the podcast studio where I sit is a round table. The idea was is that Peter and I would be sitting around the table, and if we have a guest, we can have a round table about it, right? So I'm not sitting at a normal desk. I'm sitting at an actual round table. Um, the table is covered in comic book covers. Um, so they're all like, and I know I'm, I I destroyed comic books to do this, but, uh, you know, I, I did the, like, 10-cent comic book bin of the ones that people don't want anymore, like, an overpurposed or something yeah. like that, but whatever. So I, did, so I didn't, like, I, these weren't, like, beloved comics, but I found covers that I thought looked really cool, and I, like, basically pulled the covers off the books and shellacked them onto my table, so it looks awesome. And I said that as I looked down at an image of Deadpool on the table. Anyway, um... That's that was just funny timing, but I can't wait for I can't wait for either one. Deadpool three and Superman Legacy. It's going to be awesome. Well, uh, I, I just wanted to before moving on, I did want to comment on you just mixed up Deadpool three and Superman Legacy and yeah. both movies. Everybody is just talking about right now. And then I mentioned my adventures with Superman earlier. That has kind of broken the Internet, too. And I love this because a few weeks ago, people were just talking about we're hitting superhero fatigue and people are tired of superhero movies. And I feel like it just shows, goes to show, no, they're no, freaking not. not. <laughs> All anybody cares about is superhero movies and it's still awesome. So that's well, great. Well, you can say that all that they care about is superhero movies, but I just saw Indiana Jones five and it was great. I'm seeing mission impossible um, Saturday and I, nice. And I cannot wait to see that movie. Like I am so stoked to see this movie. And then the following week, I'm going to go see Oppenheimer. I heard, I've had my tickets for both those movies for a month now. Um, I'm really excited for both. I'm so pumped for Mission Impossible on Saturday. I can't wait. Um, so I'm going to have some really big reviews coming up soon. Um, all right. Last news story of the night. And Peter, have you ever noticed how obese we are as a country and wondered why? Uh, um, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> okay. Um, Burger King has just released a new sandwich. It's a new cheeseburger. It is two buns and 20 slices of cheese. I did see this. Um, it's not really a cheeseburger. Is it? <laughs> um, I literally was like, the first thing I thought of is like, why is this country so fat? Oh, wait. <laughs> We do lead the world in uh, obesity, and I'm just like, I look down, and I'm like, a, bur a cheeseburger with 20 slices of cheese? Come on, man. Um, yeah, I think there's there's so much <laughs> so much to comment on here. Um, there's a lot to unpack in just the one. Yeah. Just like, what? To get, to get real, I guess, and comment on, like, the state of uh, health in our country, there's a lot of stuff that is allowed to be in our food in America that in most European countries, for example, they regulate more and they make sure that there's certain 
um, additives and stuff yeah. that are ad- added to their food. And uh, I think that actually contributes to a lot of the weight gain as well as like a lot of just general maladies that people feel over here. And it's kind of really annoying because <laughs> I feel like all of us have a friend who goes and vacations in the UK or they go to some other European country and they feel better and they lose weight on vacation and they come back and eat like the poison we're all served here in America. And it's really, really annoying that that's the case, but not to get too serious related to this Burger King, uh, cheeseburger in quotes that you mentioned, I honestly saw this and I kind of had a different take on it because I saw it and like, yes, like this is super unhealthy, but I think I saw it and I was just like, well, that makes sense. It's a vegetarian option. Bro, I was like, it's sense. probably, <laughs> I was like, that's kind of what I was thinking of. I was like, I have friends who are vegetarian who probably would eat that. And it's not like something you should eat every day, but once or twice a year, if you're out to Burger King with some friends, why not? That's kind of how I saw it. So sure. yeah, again, super unhealthy, but maybe as a treat once in a while, not the worst thing. I'm personally probably going to still get a Whopper or whatever, but you do you. <laughs> That's well, kind of the way I as, saw it. So even as a, even as like a grilled cheese, I don't use that many uh, cheese slices. Um, but hey. Yeah. No, absolutely. All right. Well, would you like to talk about tonight's list and knock that guy out? Because. <laughs> Yeah, just just another side note. I do think it's funny because I don't think anyone uses that many slices on a grilled cheese. <laughs> so just commenting there. But yeah, we can move forward yeah. to the list. Awesome. All right. So it's list time, everybody. We're going to roll the thing. And now for the top five. Peter, uh, this was your list, man. So why don't you explain what we're talking about tonight? Yeah, I was going to say welcome back to the uh, Grilled Cheese Podcast. And uh, we're going to go through our list of top five favorite cheeses. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Happy five year anniversary. <laughs> um, no, this is a podcast that this is an idea I've been mulling over for a while. And uh, I kind of picked for the, this week and uh, I wanted to go to uh I I wanted to talk about our top five favorite platformer games, and I think this is a fun topic because I feel like when it comes to retro games, when it comes to a lot of the games that we all grew up with and played with our friends around the old... the old tube TV and the old Nintendo, you know, the Nintendo Entertainment System, I feel like a lot of us have grown up with platformers. I think there's a lot of people who don't think of video games outside of platformers. And I think it is something that is so nostalgic and it's in such the lifeblood of kind of like this world as far as how we um, how we consume entertainment. And I guess really quick, just to clarify, I did look, this is from Wikipedia, but I could read their quick description of, the, of a platformer game just in case there's any... Um, any audience members who is unsure, but basically they say read the description, which means I'm going to change my whole list right now. (laughs) Go ahead. I hope so. Uh, So according to Wikipedia, 
A platformer game is a subgenre of action video games in which the core objective is to move the player character between points in an environment. Platform games are characterized by levels that consist of uneven terrain and suspended platforms of varying height that require jumping and climbing to, to traverse. Other acrobatic maneuvers may factor into the gameplay, such as swinging from vines or grappling hooks, jumping off walls, air dashing, gliding through the air, being shot from cannons, or bouncing from springboards or tramp trampolines. Basically, you get the idea. You have a character and you jump from platform to platform. The original Super Mario Brothers game is a classic example of a platformer. Um, I kind of laughed because I didn't realize that Wikipedia definition was going to give so many different examples of different kinds of movements, but uh, all really fun stuff. And uh, the little pun that I made of made up after you mentioned that this is our five-year anniversary episode, is that this is a great list to celebrate as we're going to the next level of our podcast. <laughs> wow. But, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this on this list, Drew? Um, it's not as... Uh, it's funny when you said that. It didn't change my list at all, and um, nice. I followed the rules just fine. I actually found it actually kind of easy to do this list. It was really, it came down to, aside from my honorable mentions, it came down to what platformers did I play over and over and over and over and over again? You know, like, what did I, what did I get really addicted to? And it was just over and over and over and over again. Um, you know, like, this is not a platformer, but I'm a big Halo fan, right? No matter how many other games I play, at some point, Halo ends up back in the system, and I'm playing Halo again. Nice. So that's why I say that. Like, it's there's, I'm always going to end up playing Halo again. So yeah. And it, Halo is not a platformer. <laughs> just no, it's not. I'm just like that's the thing. That's my point is is that these are games that I've played over and over and over and over again, and like got really addicted. Like, no, I got to do that, or I didn't finish the level, or I never beat it, or I never got far yeah. enough. Some games. Like Super Mario Brothers, you know, there's no save feature. So when you start over, you start, when you turn that game on, because you haven't played in a little while, you keep, you go back to the beginning, you know? So that's a good, that's a good call. Um, I was just going to comment, like when you were talking about Halo being one of those games you keep coming back to, for me, that's uh, the classic Tony Hawk games. Like one of the early Tony Hawk games, I always go back to those like a couple times a year. I just have to pop them into like my old PlayStation 2 and play a couple levels because I love that style of gameplay so much. But um, yeah, with all this being said, I have uh, two honorable mentions. Uh, where do you sit with this list, Drew? I also have two honorable mentions. Nice. <laughs> so uh, I guess you I go guess first. I have to go first, don't I? Okay. You're player one, so to speak. I am. Okay. So my first one, it's, this is doesn't so most platformers in my mind have always been like side scrollers right in my mind they all are and the only reason this makes an honorable mention is because it's not a side scroller this is your standard three-dimensional xbox running through worlds kind of a game like like open yeah. sort of thing but it's a platformer in the sense of the jumping from object to object it's a game called mirror's edge um and it's a Ooh, first yeah. person it's a first person you're like a 
you're a message courier and then like these guys are trying to kill you and stuff because of the sensitive material you're delivering and you're literally like jumping from building top to building top to platform to scaffold to um, fire escape, sliding down ramps, sliding down slides, going through the construction sites, all that stuff. It's like a parkour video game. It's like a parkour adventure game on top of buildings. Um, It's a lot of fun. So um, that's that just made an honorable mention because it's not really the style of game that we were talking about, but I felt it kind of fit at the same time. Yeah, this is a good call. Um, was this on the Xbox 360? Uh, there was the first one was on 360 and um, the second one might have been Xbox One, but I'm pretty sure it was 360. I, yeah, never, I, I, I didn't play the second one, so. Yeah, I remember this game getting a lot of hype um, on the 360, and uh, this is a good call. This is a deep cut, and uh, this is a game that I always, like, if our audience Googles, like, what this game looks like and stuff, I always felt like this is, I don't know why, but I always thought this would be a really fun game to play as a VR game, and I always thought that, like... When you think of Ready Player One and stuff, I feel like this game takes you to scenarios that a lot of people would want to do in that sort of open world uh, VR sort of setting. So, yeah, good call. Good call with the VR setup. Um, What's your first honorable mention, then? (laughs) So my first one is actually a game we have mentioned already a few times, but I went with the original Super Mario Brothers. This is the most cliche game I could pick. But at the same time, this game is a classic. This is a game that's built into the lifeblood of, like, every millennial and Gen X person in America. This is one of those games that, Drew, like you said, there's no saves, and you just have to start the game and go as far as you can go. But the thing that I love about the original Super Mario Brothers, as an adult, what I love about it, because I grew up playing this game, going to friends' houses playing their Nintendo, playing the original Super Mario Brothers. I've played this game so many times, but what I love about it as an adult is how accessible it is. It's one of those things where if you have 15 to 20 minutes of time to kill, turn on the Nintendo Classic, play play a couple levels of Super Mario Brothers, maybe you do pretty good. Maybe you get to, you know, World 6 or 7, and then you die off, and then you're like man, this game is harder than I remember it is, but it's also really simple and really accessible. And I just love, I love that about this game. And I love that this is, this is a game that established a franchise. Well, to an extent, like there was a few iterations of Mario before this, and maybe we'll get into that later in the list, but yeah, this, this is a this game. One established a franchise. Yeah, there's the yeah. versions, but this established it. No, absolutely. And the thing is, it has a gameplay. The core concept to the gameplay from the original Super Mario Brothers is something you can see through almost every single Mario game that came after it, whether it be like the more 3D versions or even if you go back to some of the more recent side scrolling Mario games, like the gameplay is still the same it's just souped up. They comp- they made things a little bit more complex. They've given you more power-ups. But it's still like they've stayed so true to this original game. And it's kind of a it's kind of like a beautiful tradition of the Mario games in a lot of ways. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. All right. 
Um, I'm with you on the Mario thing. I don't like you're kind of covering all the bases on that original game. And we all had those moments. <laughs> right. like, hey, you know, like, oh, my God, did you find the warp zone? Oh, wait, there's another warp zone over here. Wait, if you go on top of the screen, so you're running like out of the screen or like, you know, like finding all the secrets and the hidden one ups in the first level. And, you know, that first level of Mario was probably one of the most perfect video game levels ever, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, um, really cool. Yeah, cool stuff. We'll talk more about Mario in the, in, later on tonight, uh, for sure. Um, all right, so my last honorable mention, this is a goofy one that kind of I stumbled on. And it's – this is a platformer because it's side-scrolling and you do jumping and you're moving up and down levels and all that stuff. But it's not the same platform – it's not a platformer the way Mario is. Um, this one I stumbled on and it was it's, – it's goofy and weird, but it's cool – the game's called Elevator Action. Um, the whole point of the game is you are a spy and you like parachute on top of a building and you enter the building on the top from the roof and you have to get to the ground floor, like the basement level, to get into your car to escape. On the floors are other spies or dogs or like maybe a laser... Uh, sensor to alert people and you literally like it's it's a side scroller but literally you like go down the stairs and then you have a hallway and you're in like doors so you could like duck in a doorway or you can whatever or like you could duck in a doorway to hide and maybe there might be like a weapon in there that they'll be like oh you found a shotgun or something but then like you get in an elevator and you go down the elevator and you go to the next floor because the elevator only goes like three floors down. So you got to find the elevator that goes even farther down. And it's like a little puzzle. So sometimes you might have to go back up a floor and then down. I don't know why, but I got like kind of really addicted to it. And I I only got like maybe four levels in because it just got really difficult. But it was a lot of fun. It is. I'm in a building and I got to go down and, <laughs> you know, nice. Um, I'm surprised the game like that doesn't exist mobile because it seems like a no brainer. But um, like on your cell phone or something, it's just because of what it is. But I always had a blast with it. It was kind of fun. So. <laughs> there is something about when you're trying to find like knockoff versions of other games that you can get on your phone. You just can never find one that lives up to even these like classic, really simple games. And I don't know what it is. I feel like people need to do better making mobile games. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the whole problem, but uh, no, this is a, this is an interesting call. I swear I've heard the name elevator action a million times for some reason. I've never played the game, but I always thought it sounded cool. <laughs> so good call. Sure. Um, I'm not necessarily familiar with this one, but I do recognize the name very familiarly and I don't understand why. <laughs> so. All right. Well, what do you have for me for your last honorable mention? Yeah, so uh, jumping back into Mario stuff, <laughs> um, I actually went with the original Donkey Kong. Um, this is a game that, if you look online, a lot of people say that this game invented the concept of a platformer. And you look at a Donkey Kong level screen, and it's literally... You have Mario climbing to different platforms, jumping to different platforms. It's a it's a stagnant screen. It's not a side scroller, but it's literally platforms like in the literal sense. He's not jumping to um, he's not jumping to like 
rock uh, ledges or something like that. He's jumping and climbing between like construction platforms. But uh, Donkey Kong is another really accessible game. Um, One thing I've heard about classic arcade games is that the ones that live on the best are the ones that are easy to play, but hard to master. And I feel like Donkey Kong works that way so well because it takes two seconds to learn like, okay, I can go back and forth. I can climb the ladders. I can jump. That's like your basic controls. But to play the game and actually get past the first set of levels and then go further than that is nearly impossible. And it gets very hard when it comes to dodging barrels and dodging little flame guys. And uh, it's a really addictive game. It's really fun, but it's really accessible. And uh, this one's just a classic. I had to mention it. This is people say it's the first platformer there's a little bit of argument there when you compare it to other similarly released games but this is all also like the birth of mario the birth of donkey kong like this is a historic game that i I felt was really worth mentioning as well so all right yeah so this game uh we matched on this because this is my first actual pick of the night wow okay yeah um so this is the, you know, what's funny is like, if I were to go into an actual arcade right now, I would probably end up on the Donkey Kong machine at some point playing some old school Donkey Kong. Um, I'm good at it to the point where I can get through the first four boards and that's where I start to like yeah. cap out. Um, yeah, I'm kind of the same level. <laughs> yeah, I can get through the first four boards, maybe five, but, and I don't, it's, I, you know. The, the game's the game's really cool and I think it's addictive. Um, and the movie um, King of Kong makes you want to play it even more. Like you finish watching that movie and you want to go like, sure, I'm gonna go play some Donkey Kong now. Um, where do I do that? You know, like it's I think it's a great game. Um, but it's like that classic. This is a perfect example of a platformer video game. So, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, King of Kong, a fistful of quarters. <sighs> That is such a good documentary. I love it. It is not only does it make you want to play video games, it makes you want to go out and conquer the world. Like that is one of the best pump up documentaries out there. But one thing that that uh, one thing that they say in that movie is the average game of Donkey Kong is I believe they say it's like less than 30 seconds. It actually might be shorter than that. It might be less than 15 or 20 seconds. And that's because that's how hard this game is, even though, like I said, the controls are so easy to figure out, but the game is so hard to play at the same time. And there's something about it, like it has those easy controls and it like taps into this sort of primal reflex based aspect of yourself. But it's also nearly impossible to beat, you know, and that's that's what's awesome about it. So. Yeah. Um, what did you say? The the 30 seconds? Yeah, that's an interesting statement. Um, and I, so, I I'm and, go and we're talking about like the average. So you're going from like complete beginners to your Steve mm-hmm. Weebies. And yeah, I don't want to mention Billy Mitchell because I think he's kind of been outed as faking a lot of his 
a lot of his game records, but you know what I mean. Like right. you're talking beginners to record setters. That's the average. Well, the 30 seconds, this goes back. And this is interesting because if that's the case, this goes, that this goes all the way back to Donkey Kong. There was an interview. And I'm going to quick tangent with the game Halo. Uh, there was an interview I was watching with the developers of Halo, and they said that they put together a 30-second demo of the game to show off to Microsoft when they were making the first game. Like, hey, this is what we got. And it was a 30-second demo, and they loved it and said, keep developing. But the idea was, we're going to give you 30 seconds of fun. How do we expound on that and continue to give you extended 30 seconds of fun? How do we constantly be giving you 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds to make you want more? And like you telling me that's like, huh, I wonder if that goes all the way back to the original Donkey Kong. Here's 30 seconds of fun. As soon as you're done, you're going to want more. That is that is awesome. That's uh, this is the kind of tidbits that I listen to podcasts for. That is such a cool factoid. And I feel like take it out of video games take this to movies like you want to hook if somebody's watching a movie you want to hook them within the first shot if you're making a comic book you want to hook your audience within one page and i feel like it's just such a cool concept yeah like the first 30 seconds you need to have your person your audience in on that so yeah that's really cool Yeah, yeah yeah um all right man what's your first actual pick of the night So my first actual pick is, uh, speaking of Donkey Kong, it's actually a really similar game. Uh, This is a computer game. Drew, this is something that you are very familiar with and I'm very familiar with. Is it Downland? Absolutely, it's Downland. (laughs) This is a game that is probably going to be very obscure for a lot of people, but um, growing up... We did not match, but it's only because I forgot about this. But go ahead. Yeah, it's growing up uh, on my uh, grandfather's computer. I feel like it was a TRS-80 or it was one of those early Tandy computer models. He had a game on there called Downland, and it was very similar gameplay to, to Donkey Kong. You had a little guy... He kind of looked like Mario, actually, but you weren't trying to get to the top of the tower to save to save the girl from the gorilla. You were just trying to go through caves and caverns and you were jumping from one rock ledge to the next. You were jumping on various vines and stuff, and it had like a real sort of now this is very primitive graphics. This is like the same level as Donkey Kong, or even a little bit less than that, but it had that, you could tell they were going for a Indiana Jones feel, or you have Tomb Raider came later, but you know what I'm saying, like, you're going through caverns, you're getting keys, you're getting jewels, different objects, but it is a classic platformer game, but I loved Downland, because it feels like a weird spiritual sequel to the classic Donkey Kong game, but it's not. It's almost like an unofficial version of that, but they actually made it cooler because you're traveling through caves and crypts and stuff like that. Like, the scenery of the game was a lot more enticing to me than Donkey Kong was. And uh, this is a this is just a really fun game. I feel like anybody listening could Google Downland and see what I'm talking about, but I kind of wish that this was a game that newer um 
indie game publishers and stuff would I feel like I wish they would ape this style. Like, I wish there was more Downland clones nowadays, because I do think it was a really fun um, gameplay style, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I remember having a blast playing this game, um, and it really was. It felt like a bizarre rip between Mario and Donkey Kong, except you were in, like, caves and tunnels and um, stuff. And I remember being incredibly difficult and only be able to get through, like, a couple levels of the game. Um, but I had fun doing it, and every time you had a game over, it's like, well, run it again, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and it's it's one of those games that, just like Donkey Kong, like, once you master the first screen, you can get that every time, you know, and then you can master the second screen, and you can keep going, but then eventually you get to the point where you die, and yeah, like you said, you gotta start all over again, but it is what it is. <laughs> That's yeah. part of the fun of it, I guess. <laughs> Well, my next pick of the night um, is one from the Mega Man franchise. Nice. Um, Mega Man is a perfect example of a platformer, um, but the, the specific one I'm referring to is Mega Man 2 from the Game Boy, uh, from the original Game Boy. I got, I was really addicted to this. It's the only, <sighs> it's the only Mega Man that I actually beat all the way through, um, because that's back in the day when you couldn't save, so you turned on your system, you had to start from the beginning. Um, and Mega Man 2, like, you pick your robot, you go through the level, you fight the robot, and you go to the next level and, like, kill the next robot and so on and so on. Um, I had a blast playing that game. That's the one I knew, like, every... I played it enough that I knew every level, like, almost by heart. I knew every villain almost by heart. I knew... You know what I mean? Like, it's just... Um, I like, oh yeah, that's the pattern. You know, when you watch, uh, did you ever see pixels with Adam Sandler? Oh yeah. Yeah. When he was talking about memorizing the patterns and stuff, that's how I was with Mega Man too. Um, I just knew all of it and it was so much fun. And it's one that I played a lot just because I liked the character. I liked the concept and everything. Um, I had a blast and Mega Man games in general have always been that way for me. However, this one, uh, really kind of took the cake because, um, yeah, I just played it a lot. So. Yeah, that's that's a good call. Um, I don't know if I've really played this version of um, Mega Man, especially the Game Boy version. But uh, I think this could actually segue into another one of my picks sure. really well, because I actually went with a Mega Man uh, game as well. I went with uh, Mega Man 8, which I owned for the PlayStation 1, the original okay. PlayStation um, and the reason I picked this is oh, because Mega Man I, good. Yeah. And, and yeah, it, it absolutely was. And uh, I think Mega Man games, I feel like, are really solid. You have the platformer aspect. You have the action aspects. You have a lot of really fun and uh, challenging bosses. You have his uh, gun and stuff like that. Like, that adds a whole different aspect. Like, you're talking about when you play the original Mario, yes, like, there's different power-ups, but a lot of the game, you're just running and jumping on top of the villains, and you're ju and you're jumping on top of platforms, but Mega Man was one of those early games that brought in, like, being able to shoot the bad guys, and that adds a whole other level of uh, fun to the whole experience, but Mega Man 8, I picked this one specifically because I owned it on PlayStation, and because... This is probably the Mega Man game that I played the most 
like I said, I think pretty much every Mega Man game is a good choice. Like, I think it's a really solid franchise. I just remember playing Mega Man 8 over and over again and falling in love with the gameplay. And I loved the combination between platform going from platform to platform as well as shooting villains and uh, sometimes you'd get to the part of the level where you would be able to ride on rush rush is mega man's dog yeah. so like i remember there was one level that was like a uh, you're kind of riding rush like a hoverboard through the whole thing and that was like my favorite level like that was so much fun um but yeah mega man's just so solid uh the other thing i'd say that was pretty cool about mega man 8 is i remember this game had a lot of um anime esque cutscenes between yeah. levels and stuff like yeah, that like they did yeah they had really cool animated cutscenes so i really loved that but uh no i feel like any mega man game you could pick would be a solid choice i don't know yeah i i feel like you can't go wrong with this franchise you know yeah. for this list yeah you can't um but yeah good call mega man 8 i forgot about mega man 8 that was a really good game yeah uh, all right so the next one I'm going to talk about is uh, Metroid 2 The Return of Samus. Nice. <laughs> this one was also on Game Boy. Um, Metroid is no stranger to the... The earlier Metroids are no stranger to the fact that they are um, uh, platformers, for sure. But they're platformers in a very unique way. They are platformers that are open world. Um, because you're on a planet hunting down the Metroids... So it's a side scroller, but you got to go over here. You kill the first Metroid, then you got to go all the way back over here because you because killing the Metroid activated the thing. So now you can go down the other way. The water level lowered, so now you can go down that way. Oh, the water level lit raised, so we got to go up the other side. Like you had to do a lot of backtracking, ups and downs, and all that stuff. It was a blast just running around this planet, killing aliens and like getting the, your power ups for your power suit and all that stuff. Um. Metroid 2 Return of Samus is also the game we found out that Samus was female uh, <laughs> because that was not a thing. No one knew until you finished the game, watched the credits. And at the very end of the credits bonus scene, um, the suit was removed from the character and you saw that it was a female under the suit. Um, yeah. Which was a bit of a video game surprise. Um, I remember very vividly finding out like, no way. Um, it was awesome. Um, but I got real addicted to this. Like, it was just like, dude, I just wanted to run around and kill aliens and explore the planet. And I had a blast doing it. It was great. Um, but yeah, Metroid 2. And if you have, um, and since we're discussing it, if you have your Nintendo Switch and you downloaded the Nintendo Direct Game Boy uh, file that's for free, it's basically like Game Boy Classics, Mega Man 2 and Metroid 2 Return of Samus are both on there. So Nice. Um, all right, man, what do you got for your next one? Well, just commenting on Metroid, I always appreciated because you talked about it a little bit, but I do love how intricate they built like this giant platforming map and how it does become a big puzzle and kind of a maze and how Metroid and I feel like the Castlevania games had a very unique uh, approach to like a classic platformer style like that. And it's to the point where metroidvania is a whole game genre that you hear thrown around nowadays where some indie game is coming out and people are like oh yeah that's a metroidvania style game and i think it's really cool the legacy 
that the Metroid franchise has had, as well as just the aspect of like on the original Nintendo or the original Game Boy, you had some really cartoony games. You had Mario, you had Kirby, you had some really cartoony things, but Metroid always felt like that realistic, epic sort of sci-fi sort of thing and i always appreciated that aspect as well um but i actually could move into my next pick um speaking of open world platformers uh, my next pick is a game i've talked about on the podcast quite a bit so i don't want to go on and on but i went with the original spyro the dragon for playstation um spyro is a really fun game i think it's a really cool game when you go to the storyline how you can take a very simple platformer game but you can bring it into this really cool well thought out fantasy world and about how spyro has to basically resurrect all of the dragons that were turned into statues and kind of go from world to world but i think spyro the dragon might not get enough credit for being kind of i feel like they had a really unique approach to how everything in spyro feels open world and you can kind of go wherever you want and yes like sometimes you'll go through a doorway and you're going to hit a loading screen but it still feels open world you know like the loading screen would be like spyro goes through this doorway and it shows him flying to the next section of the world you're going to but everything still does have that open world feel that i feel like was really cool and for a game that old it had a pretty unique approach at the time but uh no i I just love this game it's a fun one to revisit it uh there's a lot of just really cool design choices and stuff like that um i like i said i've talked a lot about the spyro franchise so i don't want to go on and on too much but again i picked the first game in this series but i do think the first couple like the first three I played a decent amount and all of them are like really fun as far as gameplay and all that goes. So, yeah. I don't know if I would have picked Spyro to be a platformer. Um, I guess I haven't played it in a really long time. I always looked at it more like an open world thing, but I guess, <laughs> I guess thinking so, back, it kind of is a platformer. So I, I did Google it to see if it counted and it is considered based on the sources I set. I saw it is considered like a open world platformer, but I do understand what you're saying. Like where's the delineation between something like Spyro and something like Ocarina of time or something like that. But I think um, Spyro definitely did have a sort of level based focused focus to it like where you'll go to a different world but that's essentially like a platformer level you'll go through and then you'll go to the next one where i think more complicated adventure games like some of the zelda games and stuff didn't have so such a regimented level-based platformer aspect to them so that might be the uh separation there sure i'm with you on that um yeah okay i um my next one for the night is castlevania um, so it's funny Classic. to set up. Um, yeah. Realm of it being that open world Castlevania um, style game. You're in a <laughs> castle trying to hunt down Dracula. Um, very much open world in the sense that you're just like, I got to go here and I got to go back and I got to go up. I got to go down. I got to go into the basement now and go across because that's the only way to get to that tower and so on. Fight the monsters as I go. My favorite version of Castlevania was Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Uh, that's the one you play as Alucard. Um, that's the one I like really like. 
I like playing all the the Castlevanias that I played. I played several of them, but that was probably my favorite with Symphony of the Night. Um, and I believe that's the one that's like praised as the best or the one that's got the most acclaim. I really do think it'd be really cool for them to do a new Castlevania, and I'm okay with them doing it as a side scroller. I really am because there's still side scroller games that come out, especially on like Nintendo, like on the Switch and stuff, because they have yeah. that new that new Mario is going to be a side scroller coming out. I think we should have a new Castlevania. I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Um, always had a blast with that series. So. Yeah, I feel like Symphony of the Night is a. Um, it's so well praised as kind of the. I feel like it's Cleek or it's sorry peak side scroller Castlevania, and I know some of the newer Castlevania games they've had have been uh, more 3D based and stuff like that, like your third person point of view and all that. But I do think that you're right. Like they should be making more classic uh, Castlevania games. But I do think this series is really good. My thing is I've never been that great at Castlevania and I haven't played them enough, but I have always appreciated the game. And I do love that you play a classic or a, you play a Castlevania game and they don't hold your hand at all. They just kind of throw you, (laughs) they throw you to the wolves. You have to start wandering around this castle. You might take a a wrong turn. You might go through a section of the castle and not know what you're doing. And uh, you might be screwed. You might die because you walked into a part that essentially is a pit of lava that you can't get through, but you're kind of screwed and you have to start over and, uh, do everything again you know what i mean yep all right man what is your next one for the night yeah well speaking of castlevania um and not to dumb it down too much but i actually went with uh kid dracula which is we've talked about this pretty recently actually part of the castlevania franchise absolutely which i didn't know until i was an adult but this is i remember one christmas as a kid getting a game boy all my brothers got a game boy that year for christmas and uh, we all got one game and the game i got was kid dracula and i played this game a ton and i loved it and essentially it's when i said i didn't want to dumb things down a little too much kid dracula is a castlevania game but it is very much the I think it's a more kid-focused Castlevania game where it has more a much more cartoony style and it has a much more classic Mario style of gameplay. But uh, I just love this game. You have the cartoony graphics. You have the first level. You have Kid Dracula going through a castle and he's fighting off zombies and uh frankensteins and stuff like that and again this is all very cartoony very sort of like chibi anime style stuff and uh you get to the end of the castle and you fight this weird sort of cartoony version of the ghosts of past present and future so you you fight like a little baby ghost and a slightly bigger normal adult ghost and then a even bigger like grandpa ghost essentially so that's like your past present and future ghost that you fight through and the first level feels very universal monsters it feels very classic gothic horror and then you go to level two and everything is wilderness based and you're like okay this is cool i'm 
climbing through trees, I'm platforming through different parts, I'm fighting off like fish and uh, moths and various forest creatures, but you get to the end of that level and you're fighting Jason. You're fighting like basically like a chibi anime version of Jason from the Friday the 13th series and you're a little bit like, well, I didn't see it making that jump from universal classic monster world to 80s slasher world and then you move into like one of the further levels is based off the alien franchise where you have like the main bad guy is like a xenomorph character and uh, i just love that this is a game that starts you out in that classic castlevania universal monsters-esque gothic horror world and it brings you to all corners of modern horror and it's really fun in that way but at the core of it, it's just a really fun platformer game. That's if you love Mario, if you love Mega Man, I feel like this is a great game to check out at some point. It's a good game to spend an afternoon playing and kind of getting a kick out of the gameplay elements and uh, the design elements. I know I've been describing this game for a while, so I don't want to go on too long. But the one the last thing I'll say is I still do own my copy of this game. And I found out recently that it's actually worth quite a bit. Wow. <laughs> like the American version of this game is actually worth a couple hundred bucks when you actually Google it and stuff. So I was pretty stoked about that. You know, um, I had no idea this game would be worth that much, but I guess it's actually pretty rare. So pretty cool stuff. They uh, released a Castlevania collection on Xbox uh, a couple years ago, which was like all the originals. Um, and Kid Dracula is on there. Um, That's awesome. So I do have a copy that I can play at some point. <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> all right. So my last pick of the night is Super Mario Brothers 3. Um we matched, of course. Like, I figured we <laughs> did, man. The original, Super Mario Bros. 3. In my opinion, there is no better Mario game. This is, um, I mean, let's be real here. Uh, this introduced the Tanuki suit. It was all the best stuff from the other Mario, from the original Mario. Uh, Mario 2 is a weird game to begin with, but it was all the best stuff from the original. Plus, they added the Tanuki suit, so you turn to the raccoon and fly, introduce that. This is a game that I know every secret. Like, all of it. Um, whether it be, like, hidden boxes or, oh, if I go up here, then I end up at the end of the level. Or, oh, wait, I hit the POW button so I can repeat and do this over and over and over again until I get one up. Or, you know, there's just little things like that. Um, it's one of the only Mario games that I've played to completion all the way through. I mean, when I say all the way through, like, get all the way through so I know that when you actually defeat the game... You get unlimited P-Wings in your inventory um, <laughs> to replay the game with. It's awesome. Like, I love this game. Um, and it's one that um, I will always go back to. And, uh, yeah, this is great. I don't know. So many fun hours playing Super Mario Bros. 3. What do you have for me in terms of thoughts on this? Because we could be on this for the rest of the night if I don't stop. So, I'm really glad that we ended with this game. Because Super Mario Bros. 3 was is such a nostalgic game for me like if you go back to any household with kids in the 90s everybody was playing this game like my grade school experience was if i went to a friend's house 
we were plugging in the Nintendo and we were playing Super Mario Brothers 3. Sometimes we would play the original Super Mario Brothers, but this was like, it was almost like universally agreed on at that time that this was the greatest video game ever. And it's just what everybody did. And it's one of those games where I'll admit as a kid, I kind of sucked at this game, but it didn't matter that I sucked because you'd play it with your friend and uh, maybe you wouldn't beat certain levels, but then your friend can come in as player one or whatever, and they'll beat the level. And uh, like you said, Drew, there's a lot of secrets to this game. There is your warp whistles. There are the the points where you can crouch down on a white platform and go behind the level for for a bit and stuff like that and i feel like this game had so many intricacies and it had a vast wealth of levels to play through and it basically took everything from the original super mario brothers game and it amped it up to become this game that you could just keep playing with your friends forever like i said at the beginning of my list the the original super mario brothers game is very simple and it's very accessible and Super Mario Brothers 3 is also very simple. It's also very accessible. It has a lot of the same mechanics, but it also has a level of depth that the original game didn't necessarily have. And I think it's because of that depth, it became this eternal pastime from my childhood. And that's what I love about sure. it. And it's so nostalgic. And uh, because of that legacy, that's why I'm really glad that we ended with this one. And yeah, uh, yeah. I don't really know what else to say about it, you know? I know. It's it, it's the nostalgia on this one. And, you know, like last Christmas, my kid and I, like when you're waiting for family to come over for Christmas or like you're just got downtime, like, oh, we got it. We can't do anything for we got to leave the house in 20 minutes or something like that. We played a ton of it last Christmas and it was like nice. See how far you can get while we're waiting. <laughs> um, it was great. So, um, but yeah, Mario Brothers 3. Um, that brings us to the end of this. And we talked a lot. We talked a lot tonight, guys. We went a little bit longer than normal. But hey, it's our five-year anniversary. So, of course, we're going to go a little long. Um, <laughs> I but, was worried this list was going to be too short. So, I actually think that's great. Yeah. Well, next week, um, this is my pick. We have not done an actor or actress in a long time. Um, so I thought it'd be kind of fun to do Kurt Russell movies. Don't ask me where I came up with the idea of doing Kurt Russell movies. I literally was like, who is, what's a good actor that we should touch? So yeah, Kurt Russell movies, um, thought it could be fun. Um, yeah, hope you've seen at least five. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Kurt Russell is an amazing actor. He is, he's somebody who's been in so many classic movies when it comes to like the eighties cult classic sort of things, but he's also gone on and done so many critically acclaimed, just great performances. So, uh, this will be a fun one to go through. Yeah. All right. So that being said, um, guys do us a favor, check out our website, top five report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to an email, top five report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there. Social media, either way, works. We are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Audible, and Amazon. Um, if you subscribe, you can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism and it helps us. It makes uh, it helps us get better. It makes words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. 
Peter, what about you? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre. And that's where I will be talking about how I'm always surprised when Rainbow Road does not lead to Asgard. Yeah, that is weird, isn't it? <laughs> that joke should have been mine. Um, <laughs> well played. Um, in all seriousness, thank you all for joining us for the last five years. Um, it's been a ride. We have no intention of stopping. We will be here, hopefully, for many, many more. So, Peter, it's been a blast doing the show for you so long. Thank you so much for joining me on this adventure. Um, and I can't wait to see where the show takes us next. <laughs> right so, on. <laughs> so, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And we'll see you next week. Thank you all for listening. Have a great night.